Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am happy to have with me Brian Reed. Brian is the president at uh, Kindred Construction, well-known in the construction industry here in the Lower Mainland, has uh, been involved for quite some time, and I'm excited to have you on the show. So welcome, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, me too. Uh, before we jump into you know, all the questions that I have lined up, uh, maybe do a quick intro about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Reed, uh, president here at Kindred. I've been uh, with the group for about 10 years. Uh, it's a family-owned company. My dad started it back in 1980. So I grew up on the job sites, uh, you know, digging holes and uh, sweeping sites, that sort of stuff, and went away and got my feet underneath me. I was a lawyer for a little bit, uh, practicing down in the States, uh, then went and shot down to Dallas for a couple of years and was around Dallas through the economic downturn in 2008, uh, 2009, early part of 2009, my wife and I relocated, girlfriend at the time, my wife now relocated to Shanghai. Uh, we worked there for a little bit. I was there just shy of two years. And for that second year that I was in Shanghai, conversations ongoing with Dick uh, here at Kindred about what his succession planning was looking like. It wasn't running all that well and sort of at a whim when I was home over the Olympics, I actually put my hand up and said, well, why don't I buy the business from you? And 10 years later, here I am. Wow. That's uh, that's quite the story. That's impressive. As someone who's grown up on construction sites around the construction side of the business and then going into law, how did kind of law come into being? Was that kind of an interest for you growing up or? Um, not. I don't know if it, I don't know if being a lawyer was of interest growing up. Um, I actually, I wanted to be in professional sports in the front office side of things and here I am. So that didn't work out, but, uh, it was, it was a nice fallback, uh, law provided a segue to get in there if you didn't have that professional sport pedigree. Um, and so that was something that I would look for as a bit of a launching pad there and spun my wheels for a little bit and then found myself in real estate. Uh, the, the construction side of things, it was actually actively championed against by my dad. Um, you know, the, the industry can be challenging and, um, time intensive and a little bit of a beat down. And, uh, obviously that's something that I grew up with. And while he came home with a bright, positive attitude, and he's very much a glass half full guy, it can just be, uh, a lot. And so I think that, uh, my brother ended up in banking. I ended up in law. He was very excited about us going opposite directions and fast forward to Matt at 39 and me at 38. We're both partners here at Kindred. So. <laughs> um, you know, the world works in mysterious ways. Yeah, it certainly does. Although, I mean, those diverse backgrounds to a company like Kindred, I'm sure, are extremely valuable. Uh, maybe maybe start there. Tell us a little bit about Kindred. Who are you guys? What do you do? Sure. Uh, so Kindred got its foot, got its initial start and its feet underneath us as a high-end single-family builder. Uh, Dick's first project was in Whistler K Heights in Whistler uh, back in 1980. Um, he went from there to do a couple other renovation, single family work, and really just word of mouth through friends and architectural contacts, uh, grew there into bigger, more bespoke single family homes, and then very sort of one-off, uh, very unique and interesting commercial products. Um, when I joined the company, uh, when I sat down with Dick and asked him where his business came from, it really wasn't anything other than friends. Uh, it was contacts, it was 
uh, a challenging way to grow a business when you're relying on people that are doing things that don't necessarily lead to another. And so I elected to see if we could pursue something that leveraged a little bit of my experience in the multifamily area. Um, that's pr predominantly what I was doing down in Dallas. And so we looked at that boutique level, sort of call it $20 million and down uh, the mixed use and multifamily side. And we really focused on that. And that's been a bit of a, you know, rocket ship level growth for us over the last six or seven years. That's where we've really latched on to. Um, and as we've gotten into bigger projects, the other opportunities on the commercial and institutional side have really uh, popped up. Uh, so we're looking to continue to explore those, make that a bit of a buoy for us should the multifamily side, you know, dip for whatever reason, such as we've seen on the market side over the last few years. Um, and then the single family business for ours has become almost ultra bespoke. Uh, so the homes that we're doing, um, it's driven exclusively by 12 people within our business that don't have any blend with the commercial side. They're entirely focused on the single family group, uh, but the homes are bananas, you know, anywhere from very, very exclusive homes uh, throughout uh, BC's coast islands or throughout uh, up to Whistler uh, and then upwards of 30,000 square foot size homes. So things that are extremely unique and challenging, um, but that's where we've shifted with our single family side. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I've been involved in the industry here for uh, about 15 years now, and I've actually been involved on a few kindred projects with different companies that I've represented. And and one thing that's always impressed me, uh, especially over the last 10 years, is when you when you hear it's a kindred construction job, you don't necessarily know exactly what it is, because it can be everything from, like you said, an ultra luxury home to a commercial project. There aren't many builders who have that kind of wide of a focus um, what is it kind of different about Kindred or the leadership team there that makes you have that uh, kind of wider uh, focus? Well, I think it does go back to Dick's approach that there wasn't necessarily a specific subsect within the industry that he was targeting. Uh, it was opportunity based. And so if a restaurant popped up, if a home popped up, if an industrial building popped up and there was the ability for him to leverage a relationship, then that was an opportunity he pursued. Uh, so we've continued in that. Uh, trajectory. What we have looked to do is while we have these one-offs that we continue to uh, execute on, we are looking to leverage experience and grow ourselves in more of a directed way. Uh, and that seems to have been within the single family side and then within the mixed use and multifamily side. Um, and then allowing sort of the boutique projects, the special projects to fill the gaps. Uh, what we have, what that does permit us to do is it keeps our staff engaged and interested. Uh, they don't know what they're going to be building next, permits them an opportunity to do things that they may not at other shops. Um, and it's exciting for me. Uh, I think that when you're doing things that are outside of a typical framework, it allows you to be challenged. It allows you to continue to grow, meet new people within the industry. Uh, and that's something that certainly keeps me engaged and happy to be coming to work every day. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a very unique way to do it. And, and it's obviously proving to be very successful for you. Um, how has that growth been for your company over the last, you know, 10 or maybe six years, like you said, where it's kind of taken off? Uh, growth is often very difficult for, uh, you know, smaller companies to take on. What are some lessons you've learned from that? Uh, yeah, it certainly hasn't been without its challenges. I think that uh, hindsight being 2020, we would have probably done it a little bit with a little bit more um, measure. We would have started a bit slower. Um, I've been told that... Uh, you know, I was biting off a little bit more than I can chew. Uh, and I can't remember the quote. It's something like, I'd rather 
choke on greatness than swallow easily mediocrity or something along those lines. And um, we we did grow uh, too quickly. And so we, we made some mistakes that probably retarded our growth uh, over the last couple of years, but those were lessons well learned. Um, as long as we remained uh, accountable to the groups that we were working with, we made sure that we stood by the product that we were building. Uh, we felt that we could make sure that we overcame any potential issues, and that's been the case. Um, what we did do is that we grew before we had the internal bandwidth. And so a focus for us over the last four years has been getting the people, four or five years, has been getting the people in place here prior to then going and acquiring the work. And so more often than not, we actually have people that are sitting on the bench waiting for a project rather than people that are redlining and they don't have the ability or the bandwidth to go and then complete a project that they put on because they're just overworked. Um, and I think that that's sort of the lesson that we've learned is make sure that we've got internally the strength before we go and externally market ourselves as having the capacity to do it. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. And I think that avoids uh, you know the crunch that is so common with uh, a lot of contractors right now. Um, and that leads to kind of another question for you. How do you go about sourcing talent for project management for on-site work? Obviously, there's uh, you know a bit of a labor shortage right now with a lot of those different roles within the construction industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But you guys have a lot of longtime staff there. So how how do you go about kind of arranging that? Yeah, it's been. I think that it's for us very similar to everybody else. It's probably the most challenging thing in today's market. Um, so acquiring talent is just takes a long time. Uh, we've focused on growing the people from within, and that has probably inhibited our ability to go and take projects that are significantly bigger, uh, because we want those that are within Kindred's walls to take incremental steps up rather than a massive jump and fail. Um, and so it takes patience on the people that are here already. Uh, it takes patience on our executive group to not go and sort of oversubscribe to projects that are a little bit beyond uh, our capabilities. Um, but we look to make sure that we're fostering an environment here where people, once they get here, they want to stay. They're going to grow within Kindred. They are provided opportunities to quite rapidly take those steps up. Um, and then we are hoping for word of mouth for our staff to go and be our biggest advocates with their friends in the con- and contacts in the industry. And so if they're speaking well of their time here, then hopefully uh, that is being heard out on the streets and in the pubs and wherever else. So that if someone's thinking about making a move, then they're thinking about Kindred. Um, and that's proven to be relatively successful. You know, we, we haven't grown uh, our headcount considerably over the last couple of years, but I think that's been by design. Um, but the people that are coming are really, really strong. We're not looking for uh, that mediocre person that's going to come in and uh, not have an impact on our day-to-day, but someone that's going to come in and be a bit of a star. Okay. And looking then ahead a little bit at the next five years, uh, where do you see yourselves going? Are you continue to diversify on the types of projects that you're involved with, or how's how's the planning going for that? Well, the single family side, I don't want to say it sort of manages itself, but from a deal flow perspective, we only need a couple projects a year to really keep that uh, side of our business going. And so I think that that's relatively stable um, and will remain that uh, as far as growing that talent pool on the single family side, that's even more challenging than the commercial group. Uh, It's just such a difficult person to find that wants to be in that space. Um, On the commercial side, I see our um, non-market housing sector work growing quite considerably, uh, simply because that's where the market is trending right now. So it's rental driven, um, it's BC Housing Finance, it's CMHC. uh, So that's an area that we're really focused on. We've got a bunch of projects on the books right now that will launch either in 2021 or 2022 that will make that our primary source of work. 
Um, and then, yes, we are looking to leverage our current expertise that we have here. People that used to work at the the straw bags and the uh, Elistons and the PCLs that have looked to take a step to a smaller contractor that are going to help us grow. We're going to leverage their experience to help our push into that institutional commercial sector. And uh, that'll be a focus for us over the next five years. Okay. That's really exciting, obviously, for, for Kindred and everybody there. Um, changing gears a little bit, you know, you've been involved in the construction industry through real estate originally, and then obviously through construction for quite some time now. What are the big, some of the biggest changes you've seen in the last 10 years in the market here in the Lower Mainland? I, I think that I've been quite fortunate in that the 10 years that I've been here have been a bit of a bull run consistently. Uh, there hasn't necessarily been a lack of work out there. What I have seen is that the change is that what what is required is a level of partnership on the contractor side, certainly in the type of work that we're doing. It can't be this acrimonious change order driven. It's a fixed price. You stay on your side of my t- the table. I'll stay on mine. Um, it's become very much a uh, fluid uh, relationship between builder and owner, uh, between builders and consultant teams, um, because if it's not, it's going to fail. And I think that the reason for that is that everybody's stretched. And so there can't be the level of expectation now that you're going to get a owner that can have all of its time dedicated to making sure that they're managing what's within their framework. Same goes for consultant teams. And so consultant teams are going to make some misses. Drawings aren't going to be at the level that they were at 15, 20, 30 years ago, simply because they don't have the time. Um, They don't have the people that have been in the industry for a long time. It's a lot of younger staff. Uh, and if we're not recognizing that it does take relationships, it does take partnership, then we're falling short. So I would say that it's been the, a push towards um, a much more cohesive, regardless of contract form, CCDC2, 5As, design builds. If you're not in it uh, for overall team mutual success, then it's not going to be a very rewarding time right now. Okay. And do you think that the, especially recently, the push towards, you know, better construction, high performance, whatever you want to call it, um, has kind of contributed a bit towards that needed cohesiveness between the teams? Yeah, I would think so. Um, so we've we've made a concerted effort here to uh, have, if not all of our staff, the bulk of them um, engaged with Passive House certification. Uh, we've got a bunch of people that... Uh, you know, it's almost becoming outdated at this point, but they are lead professionals as well. Um, it's becoming a requirement. Uh, the building codes are such that if you don't have that um, level of expertise within that area, uh, you're going to be left to the wayside. And so if you're not integrating that into your day-to-day work and working with the consultants at a very early stage, again, in that partnership framework to make sure that their design can be executed pragmatically and properly so that costs don't become exorbitant, uh, then it's going to be an issue. So, um, yeah, absolutely. The uh, the green building, the better construction methodologies that have become a focus for everybody uh, are those that we're trying to permeate throughout our entire office. Okay. I mean, obviously, you've taken the first step and in, involved in getting training and certified for all of your people. Um, what are some of the other learning points that you've had? Because you've done a, a couple or a number now of these uh, higher performance standards buildings. Um, what are some of the learning points that you've had on your first few? I think make sure that you overstaff projects. And by that, I mean, don't feel that there's going to be this typical sort of part-time PM, you know, superintendent without support on site and an architect that comes by to check on things once a month. Uh, there needs to be significant integration for everybody. Um, we often uh, staff beyond what our contract requires or what our contract compensates us for uh, because it does require 
extreme attention to detail. If you miss one thing, you're not going to get certified. Uh, if you bring in one trade that doesn't know what they're doing and you're not looking over their shoulder, you're going to miss something and it's going to cost you a month. Um, so it's, uh, it's been more of a, a focus on ensuring that there's adequate staff, adequate resources so that things don't get missed. Okay. And what are some of the challenges that you foresee for other contractors who maybe aren't quite as skilled with this yet as step code becomes, you know, a requirement in BC and more municipalities? I think, um, if, if some of the trades that they typically work with and all contractors have their preferred groups, if some of their preferred groups are unwilling to take those steps, it'll be difficult for them to forge relationships with those that have. Um, and it's sometimes it becomes challenging to bring people up with you uh, as you take those steps into that next area. Um, and so it's trade relationships uh, in this and this market in this area. Uh, trades are the most critical part of a contractor's success. So if we don't have good groups, we're in a bunch of trouble. And as we've taken those steps up, we've had to go and source new relationships with bigger groups that have taken those initiatives internally as well. And so I would suggest that those will be the challenges that some of the other TCs will face. Okay. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. I think the, obviously the cooperation is huge, like you've mentioned, um, and access to the skilled trades is is quite large as well. Um as far as implementing step code uh, on a local level uh, or, you know, the Vancouver city code as well. Um, what are some of the gaps that you see knowledge wise in the market right now? Where are there opportunities for either trades or suppliers or, you know, the actual people uh, certifying these buildings to improve? Well, from a trade standpoint, I think that there's opportunity uh, abound. I don't think that there's a single, um, division a single scope of work that is well looked after like trade shortage is just ubiquitous it's everywhere and so if anybody is able to shoot prove themselves as reliable um, in that higher building performance uh, technology in their line of work whether it's plumbing whether it's mechanical whether uh, facade treatment whatever uh, they have endless opportunity um, so the holes are everywhere um, as far as a building certification standpoint i think that uh, we are certainly looking for a more involved process with the people that are um, responsible for that certification, more involved process with the people that are in the CP roles, um, people that will be a part of making sure that there are no misses. Um, because if they do their typical methodology where they touch base once every couple months and they come back at the end of the project, it's too late. And so if we don't have them uh, understanding that times have changed, uh, it will um, it'll only be painful at the end. Okay, that makes sense. Um, as I get towards the end of these episodes, I typically ask two questions. Uh, the first one's kind of a fun one because you get a bit of a magic wand. If you could remove any one misconception about uh, better construction or high-performance construction right now, what misconception would you get rid of? That it has to be more expensive. Uh, I think that it's more. It, it potentially is incrementally more costly now because people don't know what they're doing. Um, but if we're not investing in that process now, it will always be that way. And so if people aren't willing to take that 1% step, uh, it will never get to the point that it becomes just standard and normal. Uh, it doesn't need to be more challenging. It just takes more thought. And so as long as you have people that care and are in place and they worry and they think, you're fine. Uh, it doesn't need to be the scary beast. Okay, perfect. I definitely agree with that. And then the last question for me is always a personal interest question. I read and collect a lot of books. And so for you, if you were to recommend a book right now, personal or professional, which one would it be? So I just read Atomic Habits. I think that that's a great book for anybody to read. 
Um, I'm currently reading uh, Bob Iger's autobiography. Um, Ride of a Lifetime? Yeah, yeah. And so that book, I'm about halfway through that one. That's been a good book. He really likes himself. So that's been uh, something that I wasn't totally expecting. But I guess you need a bit of an ego to have a role like that. Uh, so those are my two most recent books, and uh, I would recommend both both to anyone. I think that the Atomic Habits was something that makes you reflect a little bit on how you leave your day-to-day. Perfect. All right, Brian. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to be on the show. For everyone listening and watching, I'm going to put links down below to Kindred and their social media so you can follow along with some of these exciting projects. And with that, I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening to this week's episode of Better Construction. I really appreciate you taking the time to do so. If you have any questions for myself or the guest, you feel free to reach out on social media or on the website at uh, www.betterconstructionmedia.com. And with that, we'll talk again next time.